This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Coin Gaming. Stick around for more info about them later in the episode. What's up, everyone? I'm Charlie Shrem, and this is Untold Stories, where twice a week we dive deep with crypto's most influential leaders to find out how this movement truly came to be. This show is powered by Blockworks Group, a media company with over 20 podcasts in their network. Check them out at blockworksgroup.io. With that, today's guest is Tron Black, one of the lead developers for Ravencoin that you guys have been hearing a lot about. There was no ICO or no pre-mine, a truly fair cryptocurrency. And we talked to him not only that, but about the early days of working at Overstock.com with Patrick Byrne and the whole story and saga with that. There's a lot of overlap and a lot of craziness. Uh, Stories, really, really good stories in today's episode, talking about spies and the CIA and how crypto and Bitcoin all fits in and how Ravencoin is involved. You're going to love this one, guys. I'll talk to you guys just in a minute. Eight zero Tron Black, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Charlie. I had to get Love your show. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's so interesting because, well, first it was like getting all set up and my whole studio here is just so out of whack and everything's out of whack and I miss kind of normalcy. Um, but you're, you're used to kind of like um, being behind, uh, you know, masks and wearing many hats as one article put it. <laughs> and it's interesting because uh, Ravencoin uh, largely came out of of nowhere in terms of uh, being a grassroots project. I'm, I almost look at it like the Tea Party movement, and I'm like a very apolitical person. I'm just using that as an example. But that's, you know, just kind of out of nowhere, like a huge grassroots movement that's been chugging along here. And the, the thing is, so your, your email to me, and everyone knows of Ravencoin, right? But a lot of people don't really know like how it got started and who's really involved and what are some of the features and, and why is it different and, and why is it so complimentary to Bitcoin and things like that. And, and I want to get into things like that. But your first email to me was so, it so perfectly like symbolizes uh, why symbolizes the difficulties of not having a centralized leader or a central, like, like a ripple type of coin where there's like a centralized decision-making body of governance. So I just want to read your email to me. Um, and you're like, okay. hey, Charlie, I have the Ravencoin Telegram community asking me, telling me that this physical exchange, you know, because you were asking me about an exchange, um, needs the CEO of a coin to get listed. And you said Ravencoin doesn't have a CEO or a foundation or anything like that. It's just source code in the spirit of Bitcoin. I'm nowhere near being Ravencoin CEO, but as a developer, I make a lot of tech. I'm involved in a lot of technical, you know, you said you make a lot of technical decisions, but I don't really want to yeah. hold you to that. I just want to introduce myself to them and see if there's an interest of, you know, possibly listing um, Ravencoin. And and I really like that, you know, and then you said you were already listed on all these other places like Binance and Bittrex and OKX. And I just thought it was a very like, uh, it was a great email, like in the spirit of, of what you probably have to deal with. Um, what other type of things like this do you feel like you're at a, not at a loss, but you're almost like at a disadvantage because you're not a project that raised all this money in an ICO and would have all this governance built in with the foundation and these people and like $50 million war chest. You don't have any of that, but yet you guys have still been able to, to grow organically, grassroots, be listed on exchanges and be very healthy. Can you tell me like how you did all that? And I just asked, I just asked you like 50 questions. <laughs> so, so great questions. Uh, so uh, I, I mean, I can't take credit for any of it. It was 
you know, the project really was a kind of the brainchild of, of Bruce Fenton and Bruce talking to Patrick Byrne and Patrick saying, oh, yeah, we have some developers that could help with that. And I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of Bitcoin. I'm a huge fan of crypto in general. Uh, so this is like a dream job for me. Uh, and so I kind of jumped in and said, I can help with that. Uh, so, you know, that, that's kind of one of your questions, kind of where did it come from? It, you know, that's where did its, you know, origins and, and things like that. Uh, but then also the, the, the yeah, the, the spirit of it, like there's tons of advantages. So I don't want to uh, short sell those. But, but some of the disadvantages are, yeah, we, we don't have a war chest for sure. Uh, we do have a backer in Medici Ventures uh, for the development part. Uh, but, no, you know, there's kind of no marketing fund and no PR department, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, the, so the, the disadvantages, we can't throw money at like second tier projects and say, here, you know, build on our platform and we'll give you, you know, millions of dollars. Uh, we don't have that. Uh, but I don't want to short sell the advantages either. The advantages are we have this massive community that's like out there. We don't run our Discord or Telegram or anything. We don't we don't run it. Uh, we just there's volunteers helping and working on these things, uh, which has been uh, it's been it's been incredible. It's been incredible to be involved in it uh, and help with the project. And, and it has that spirit of Bitcoin. Uh, you know, I'm, again, I'm not I wasn't in Bitcoin as early as you were, but uh, that spirit of kind of like community and, and not really being a corporation uh, uh, spirit. So it's been great. You actually uh, used BitInstant in 2013, you told me. And I went Absolutely, back and I found yep. those some support emails there. Uh, oh no i'm so embarrassed <laughs> no it's all good i love how shit like that works out it's pretty funny oh man if you read some of the customer support i should release some of these support emails from the early days of some of the just the you know just the emails of like the ceos of modern companies that have written support emails asking for help like setting up bitcoin is just unbelievable <laughs> yeah that's, that's amazing yeah no i'm embarrassed about those emails uh you know i watched the documentary that you were in and 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 just went oh I feel so bad because I was you know at the time I I sent the cash I'd gone down to Walmart I'd fill out the forms I'd given them cash and it had, it had, they'd sent it over as if I was paying an electric bill over to Zip Zap and Zip Zap would send it over you know that kind of thing that whole chain that you're very aware of and th and then I didn't get the Bitcoin and I was like waiting and waiting waiting and I was like ah now what I've been ripped off and that kind of thing and then I watched this documentary and I watched what you were going through during that time and just this influx just this, i mean it's probably just during that peak time just this massive influx of customers and just that you know that overwhelming thing and like uh, i was part of that problem no well it wasn't like there's no problem there you know but it, it was just funny that we just like blockchain.info we ended up becoming the customer support for just all of bitcoin for like a few years and which was oh, okay yeah. I, see i like that and the thing was is i spent too much of my time on customer support. I took that as my responsibility. And even when I was like being CEO, I remember Roger Veer walked in the room one day and literally hit me on the back of the head with, a, with his laptop. <laughs> he literally just slapped me on the back, not like hard or anything. And I was like, because you know what? I was answering a customer support email, but I was doing it in a fucking board meeting. And Roger's like, what are you doing? You're the CEO yeah. of a company. Why are you? But I just loved doing it. I loved answering people's questions about like how yep. Bitcoin works. Well, they ended up yep. getting me into trouble, you know, answering customer support. It's why I went to jail. Um, but I still love doing customer support. 
I'll do the same thing, but it, it's it's a it's because of really more of a passion to kind of teach people or help people or really even to have people not have a problem with Ravencoin, right? If they're having a problem and they don't understand, they feel like their coins are disappeared when it's really just sinking the wallet and things like that. I'll, I'll help out as well in, in, in the forums or email and, and things like that. So I understand that. What's your background? Uh, so I, I'm a, a computer guy from early, early age. Uh, I helped my dad write uh, visualization software for his thing kind of before uh, back on the Atari 800. This is back in the Apple II days. Uh, and they gave me a choice of getting this little pocket computer from Radio Shack. It was $200 or a scholarship. And of course, I chose the pocket computer. Did you um, really? Just, yeah, yeah, I still have it. Don't use it, but I still have it. Um, and, you know, just computers were, were my passion. That, that's what I like doing. And, and so I, uh, kind of grew up programming. This is kind of, it was pretty early, like, you know, Turbo C was out and things like that. And so I'd be helping write libraries because stuff didn't exist at the time. Now you, you have thousands of solutions for every problem, but at the time, you know, you kind of had to write your own. So I would do that. Uh, so anyway, computer science degree, uh, from the university of Utah, uh, and then still wanted to do school. And so, uh, I was also just, uh, programming, you know, building computers at home, just, 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 Standard stuff like computery kind of things. Uh, not a big gamer, but like building stuff. And so uh, then instead of uh, Ed kind of was going to do like an online law degree and decided to do uh, an MBA instead. So I did an MBA, uh, started a company, uh, Blue Squirrel, which did uh, internet utility stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, internet utilities for Windows. What's internet kind of utility of stuff? What is that? So. There were some things I thought that were missing from Windows. One of them was, uh, this is dial-up days. And so you'd say, I want to go on a browser. You'd get the internet kit or something, and, and you'd, you'd click, I want to go online. It would say, are you sure you want to connect using dial-up your modem? And you hit yes. Well, you always say yes. I mean, yeah. you, just, you just wanted to go online, so you always say yes. I'm not even sure why they asked the question. Uh, maybe because it was going to pick up the phone and dial. But uh, I said, somebody should just write something that, just hits yes. So I wrote a program that hit yes. I mean, it just watched for that window and hit yes. And then started selling tons of those. Um, really? Yeah. I remember yeah. a lot of those little apps that did all those things. Yes. And so we, we had a few of them. Uh, another one was just time and money tracker. It was just a, uh, an app that you could like stretch and it tracked time and you could say how yeah. many dollars per hour. And so I just sold it like through shareware. Uh, and it sold a ton and I had a license where you could buy one for $15, but if you wanted to use it for your whole company, it was like $300. And so like KFC bought the license and Nike bought a license and, really? and that paid my, that paid my mortgage, right? Just one of those licenses was the mortgage for the month. And, uh, and then one day I find out that it's like, you know, they're, they've got it in pool halls and then. I wrote another one that was just uh, basically would launch something at a certain time, right? At, at 10 o'clock or every hour, it would launch something. And then I get a, and again, same kind of thing, same licensing, $300 for your whole company. And then I find that like out, it's like scheduling stuff at oil wells and stuff like that. And, and I had no idea. Um, and they were using this to schedule like huge things. And it was you know, like, whoa, wasn't. I, I never imagined. I mean, it can be used for that, but I had never imagined that it would be used for that. So how did you 
how did you convert over to to the Bitcoin world? I mean, everyone gets involved like for yep. different reasons, political. Dude, most people I speak to on this show, like you'd be surprised, all get involved from Silk Road. People that are CEOs of companies were like, yeah, I was buying drugs in Silk Road. That's how I got involved in Bitcoin. You wouldn't think that. It's crazy. It's like almost like, and I hate to say it, and I don't like it, but these people see it as like a badge of honor to have bought from Silk Road. It's so weird. Yeah. For me, it wasn't Silk Road. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, Ross Ulbricht is railroaded, but I, it wasn't from uh, Silk Road. Um, it was uh, actually, I wouldn't say uh, super political, but a little bit more political kind of after the after the Iraq war, uh, kind of it, it had a kind of an effect on me. It was kind of mm. like, hey, how did we get into this mess? Uh, and anyway, so I was a little bit more political just after that, before that completely oblivious to, to politics, completely oblivious. After that, I was, uh, struggling a little bit, bit with, uh, why are we doing this? And, you know, where are my tax dollars going and things like that, uh, uh, shifted a little bit, you know, because of that, uh, a little bit to, towards the libertarian side, uh, which I would consider myself solidly in, uh, uh, although that word has baggage. So freedom-loving side, sm- smaller, you know, right size, smaller government side. Um, but I, I had seen Bitcoin probably earlier, but the, the one that, that brought it back to my attention said, wait a minute, this is, is a solution. Uh, it was in March of 2013, and it was the Cyprus uh, Bank. And they closed the doors to the bank and said, we're going to give everybody like this haircut of 40% or something. And Cyprus was insane. Were, it Crazy. was insane. And so I was watching this. And, and so the big narrative was like, is the money in the bank your money? And obviously, you know, the Bitcoin people are like, no, it's not. The solution's Bitcoin. They're like, what? And so that's really where, where I started was, was because of that. And of course, the whole narrative, you know, finished up with they just kept they just kept uh, kind of raising the threshold of the money they were giving a haircut to until they had less people rattling the gates and then took more of the people that had more money, more higher percentage from the people, I think over a thousand or hundred thousand. Yeah, it was like some tiered haircut thing. I mean, it's kind of scary to think, do you think something like that could happen? Um, it's not like here in the U S. Uh, I don't know right now. It seems like I would say no, because our solution seems to be ramping the print printing press. Uh, and, and I think we do have struggles and even now. And, and so I think they would just, they would just fill in the money. Uh, so we we're we're doing bailouts, but in Europe they actually kind of made it a policy to do bail-ins, right? Where it's where it's all kind of within the bank of that country. Um, so I don't think it would happen here. I think we're going to have a different ramifications, uh, you know, to the solutions that we provide than than what they do. Um, so, what do you mean? Uh, I don't think you can print money to to. Uh, a large extent that we can uh, for a while because everybody wants dollars across the world. So our, the, the gain and the benefit that goes to us uh, by us, I mean, U S is born uh, that the pain is born uh, right now, especially in the early, you know, the the initial printing phases outside the U S that's probably going to shift geopolitics uh, quite a bit. I think it's already starting to uh, kind of within China uh, and, and you know, kind of saying, hey, we can't link ourselves too much to the dollar. And so I think that's going to shift some things around. I don't know all the details of how that's going to happen, but I don't believe we can just continue to print money and solve all our problems with that and export that problem to the rest of the world without having 
the rest of the world go, wait a minute, this is not this is not a workable solution. So the thing is, like most of people, this is what I find so interesting. Most people who believe what you believe, myself included, right? Um, usually get involved in whether it's like venture capital or starting company and everything. People that are a lot of developers in our space, and especially the ones that become like lead developers and and things like that, they're they're you. I've noticed they're usually um, younger. You know, I should say not as seasoned as you. You know, you're you're you've been through so many things. You've been through, um, um, you know, the '90s. You've been through dot com. You've been through the yeah. early days of the internet, and here you are in this world of uh, almost like. Uh, children sometimes developer and I'm not trying to like put developers down or engineers at all because most of them are my friends and everything but it's but you you know where kind of I'm going with this yeah yeah I, I look in the mirror and say who's who's that old guy uh, I, I still think of myself as a kid experimental and, and that kind of thing so um, but yeah no I have I have seen like more of more of yeah, more, more things I guess yeah um, I was reading an article about you and, you know, on that note that, so, so what was interesting was that, uh, credit cards, I, I had thought from, from a movie that the adult entertainment industry really pushed, uh, online, you know, people using credit cards, uh, like forward. That was like a huge, huge thing. You were involved in, in a piece of software weren't going back to the apps that you built. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Uh, sure. Yeah. So I was just involved in e-commerce very early. So, uh, we did, uh, a company, uh, got sold. Um, I started it, uh, ended up trans, uh, giving it to my brother. Um, it was Reginet. Uh, it's, it, uh, sold to digital river eventually, but it was basically a shareware registration. So we worked pretty hard to get credit card processing. It was very difficult. Uh, back then it was kind of like early, early nineties, uh, and you needed a physical presence. You know, they wanted the card swipe and the chunk, you know, that kind of thing or whatever through the, through the, you know, the, the card swipe, magnetic yeah. swipe thing. Uh, and we, we didn't have that. So it took us a long time, meaning a year and a half of like trying to convince them that, you know, we existed and we'd been around for a while. We were selling, selling shop, so, software. So we finally got it to be able to sell these internet utilities directly. Uh, before that, we were selling them through CompuServe. Um, and so this was kind of like, as the internet was transitioning from like the prodigy AOL CompuServe era over to, uh, you know, and out of that, you know, internet's transitioning out of the academic, uh, into the, into the world of, of, you know, what it is today, you know, a whole commerce, uh, you know, platform. And so we said, all right, we want to take credit cards. So we finally got that. And so we should we should do uh, this for other shareware companies that want to sell their software. And so we did that. And then we, we talked to, to, you know, to the lawyers and they said, Oh yeah, you can't do that. It's called drafting, et cetera. And mm. I said, well, how's that different than uh, just us buying the software and then selling it like a wholesale or retail relationship? They said, Oh, if you structure it that way so that you're on the hook for the software. And we're like, this is shareware. Most of the stuff is like the people are like, I really should pay for this. I really, I really like this program and I want to support the, so I didn't feel like there was a yeah. ton of risk as a, you know, of returns of something somebody was already using was kind of voluntarily uh, paying for. So I said, all right, so if they sign a uh, wholesale, you know, like we're selling this, but for every copy, right? So each copy that someone wants to buy, they're selling it to us. We're the merchant of record. And so we just kind of set it up like that. 
And that started, uh, you know, taking the payments and then keeping a small percentage. And that's and so cool. Rest. Yeah, that really is like the early days of the Internet story. That's like the perfect story. It, it was great. Um, and then I decided uh, maybe not so wisely to, to run it 24 seven. And so this is the early days of cell phones, you know, the big bricks. So I'm carrying around these big bricks and basically people are calling from around the world, uh, like speaking German. And uh, I'm waking up at three in the morning and having to process an order. So I, uh, I don't, I took German, but I don't speak it fluently. So I'd run upstairs and try to try to do the order at two in the morning. You were, you were involved in the internet, right? Like in, in, in these days where you were building out products and utilities but you call them utilities, but really you were building things for you. You were building it to pop up, right? And oh, the credit no card. The, you're, yep. you're building things for you, for you, and that yep. was the age. And you talk yep. about people in Germany. It's like, why were you dealing with them? Is because they were building products for them, and those products were great for you. And you were part of the early like camaraderie of that. When did yeah, that sure. go? When did that change? Like, how long did that? And and the second question, which kind of like works with the first, is. I, I miss those early days of Bitcoin. And I still feel like we we do have a lot of that still. Like we're not even close to like how the internet is just another industry now. Um, but how did, yeah, how I'm, will this start to change? Like, are we in these like mega four year or eight year kind of like cycles of Bitcoin, do you think, and, and overall crypto? So you, since you were early Bitcoin, I would say that transition kind of feels the same, right? There's still the, you know, there's still this... Um, uh, how, to, how, to, how to put it? The, it transitioned, like you still know all the people from the original, you know, yeah. from, from uh, Pork Fest and, you know, that kind of thing, right? But then oh there's this God, whole Porkfest. other group that's that's uh, that's doing these other things. And I felt the same way. There's still a group in, you know, on the internet that's like, hey, I want to do commerce myself and just build the store myself. But then there's also Amazon, right? And Overstock. And it's like a totally different thing than the guy who says, Look, I can I can put up my own website, put credit card processing on it, and sell this independent of everybody else. But it's shifting to Amazon. I think the same kind of feel or that same shift just ha- you know happens in crypto. It's like, yes, I can still pay for something via you know the wallet, peer to peer, etc. But there's also you know just paying from a custodial account like Coinbase or you know keeping my money in in you know in something that's paying interest or or yeah. whatever. So. Both can exist, uh, and but the easiest route on is through these bigger platforms where the ethos of holding your own keys, you know, my keys, my coin, uh, starts to fade into the background. Just like putting your software or selling something online fades into the background when it's easier to put it on eBay and yeah. Amazon. And, and that's sim- there's a very similar feel to me. So you really, you really did get um, like the dream job, as you say, because for sure here it is like 2014 and, you know, overstocks accepting Bitcoin and just like me, you're, you're buying stuff online. Um, and then, and then from my research, you got involved, you got, that's when you got involved. And actually I didn't even know about this, but overstock was the first comp, the first, like the real company to launch their shares on, on, on the blockchain, like OSTKP. Um, yeah. Why does no one? Why does no one know about that? Like, why was that? Why is that kind of like stuffed in under the bedsheets of history of, of crypto in a uh, way? That's a good question. Uh, so uh, it's a precursor involved, to T zero. 
it, there's no question. I was involved in that. I was there. Uh, you know, we had a deadline of December, uh, December 16th, uh, of 2016. Uh, and I was, I was there, um, just helping build that. I actually did the part that anchored the transactions into onto the Bitcoin blockchain by basically taking a hash off of the Ethereum. Uh, it was a, a private version of Ethereum, but off of that and then anchoring that into Bitcoin so it couldn't be tampered with and could be proven all the way back to, uh, you know, to, for all the issuance of all the all the shares and everything. Uh, it was a precursor uh, to T0. Um, and in fact, it was, it was T0. Uh, I worked for T0 for... Uh, for a while, um, and uh, came back and helped T zero. And at that point, when I came back, I, I left for a while. I left, uh, worked for T zero. Left for eight months. Worked uh, for a company out of Hong Kong, uh, ANX International. In fact, I think you know Dave Chapman. Uh, and then, and then worked, went back, uh, helped T zero, but was working for Medici Ventures, which owns a majority of of T zero. There's no question that crypto and gaming have gone hand in hand since the early days of Bitcoin when it first launched. And in fact, that's what really drove mass adoption. Companies like BitCasino, which is the first ever licensed Bitcoin casino, and brands like Sportsbet.io. I mean, it's the reason people are using crypto and Bitcoin today. Fun, fast, and fair. When you're using uh, blockchain-based gaming, make sure you require that they are fair because there's no reason that they shouldn't be transparent because everything can be seen on the blockchain. Coin gaming is so cool. It's an ecosystem of brands, products, and people that are serious not just about shaking up the gaming industry, but also the crypto industry. These guys have been around since the early days of Bitcoin. The CEO of Coin Gaming used to actually mine for Bitcoin and, and use the Bitcoin miner to heat his home in Estonia. I mean, those go down to like negative 25 degrees. So if you're, if you're cool about driving crypto awareness together, if you got a question or you just want to connect with your team of like dreamers and doers, the whole community, make sure you check them out coingaming.io, play some of their games, sportsbet.io, or BitCasino. Fun, fast, and fair. I'm Charlie Sherman. I'll talk to you guys right in a minute. Overstock, T0, Medici Ventures, um, Ravencoin, so many projects Patrick has been involved in. And I yep. look at, I've never, so there are so many times when I, he's one of those people that I look up to and almost idolize that we've met in passing a dozen times but I've never had an opportunity to like sit with him and get to know him a little bit better just because yeah. he's just always surrounded by a huge entourage of people. And there's nothing <laughs> I can do. But yeah. I guess one he's of a visionary. the, he's a visionary, he's a visionary. Yep. And visionaries get themselves into trouble. Um, yeah. People have called me a visionary. I yep. don't, but people have called You're me visionary one. As well. <laughs> Thank you. I get myself in trouble. It's just what we do. So with Patrick, I guess I'm still sad. Like I'm still, you do, you know, when there are things like there are events in your life that you just are not satisfied and you could have not closed the door on them. Help me close yeah. the door on what happened with Patrick. I don't want to go into the details, but I guess I just want to understand why the global community vilified him so much when he was, and why the Bitcoin community, when they backed him up, I guess, didn't, it didn't get enough voice. Like, I just don't understand how. It all went down. I know Patrick, I guess, got frustrated and, and decided to just like walk away from everything. Um, but he was, he's such an important part of Bitcoin's history and the overall crypto history. I want to make sure that the history has gotten right. And, yeah. and it's what I'm having. One of the reasons I have, you know, I do these shows and I would love to have him on the show, but I want to make sure history 
history gets it right because it's not fair yep. sometimes. Yeah, he, he would be a great guest guest uh, on your show. Uh, I'll see what I can do. Um, yeah, the, stu- the stuff that he did, I mean, we did uh, one of the first bond offerings online. That was with the uh, Bank of New York. Um, and we did the, uh, the stock offering uh, uh, for OSTKO, which is now OSTKP, and it's on T0. Um, and then the dividend, uh, which is happening now, actually. So people who own uh, shares of Overstock get a digital dividend. I think the, the date of record was April 27th, so you can't get in on it now. But the, the digital shares, I think, will be issued, I believe, on May 19th. And so that's part of uh, part of the project as well. Uh, but yeah, so Patrick, um, the story's not over. It's, I think it's one of the reasons that it's kind of unsatisfying. It, for Even for me, uh, th- this thing is like a book that's like three quarters read, this thriller, and with, a, with a folded down page in the middle. And, and I'm waiting for the rest of it to come out. Uh, if, if you want to know the story and read the story up until that, right, that three quarters of the book, uh, go to deepcapture.com and you can, it's Patrick's website and you can just kind of read, uh, you know, kind of what he did and why and the reasons. And they talked to Warren Buffett and it's, you know, conscience and everything decided, uh, you know, to, to leave, um, so that it wouldn't affect overstock. So you can read it from, you know, his words, uh, rather than my interpretation of his words. Um, he would be a great guest. Uh, I don't think the story's over. Um, uh, and, and so I'm kind of waiting for the ending as well. What, I mean, in your, in your opinion, was he treated fairly? So, so I, th- I think, uh, by whom? I guess the mainstream media. Uh, n- no, no, they don't know. I don't him. think anyone has ever uh, treated, treated fairly. Yeah, they don't know him. I, I think it varied across the, so when he left, uh, so, so, I mean, the, in, inside the office, uh, it was a surprise uh, when he left. So uh, there was a meeting that kind of showed up on the calendar and I had a call out of uh, with somebody, you know, just kind of crypto related out of, out of Europe. And so it was early in the morning and, and I, and I took it uh, kind of as this meeting and I, and our, we're in the peace Coliseum, which Patrick built this beautiful hundred million dollar building and it's round. The peace so Coliseum. Take, yeah, no, if you haven't seen that, it's an amazing building. I mean, it's, it's the glass automatically tints based on the position of the sun. It's round. I mean, it's it's not as big as Apple's thing, but it's round like that. It's three stories. It's got a center, the the spokes to the center, and the center is a coffee shop and a library oh, so and cool. ping pong tables. Yeah, it's a cool building. Do you work um, at the it, campus? Is there? I, I did until March twelfth. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I was I was next to Patrick's office. We're, we're we have an open floor plan. Patrick has an office. And I, my, my uh, workstation uh, was right next to Patrick's office uh, in, in that building on the third floor. Uh, and I worked there until, uh, well, they just sent us home. Uh, COVID the and stuff, current, yeah. uh, Jonathan Johnson's doing an amazing job. Uh, Overstock's doing extraordinarily well in this COVID thing because they sell home goods and everybody's at I'm home. I'm still buying stuff from Overstock. Yeah, it's, it's it, uh, I mean, I can say this because it was announced in their quarterly meeting, but uh, year over year, 130% increase, uh, in sales. So just, uh, you know, just you know, saying April, April sales kind of thing, uh, or March sales, I guess. A- anyway, doing great. Uh, and that helps support Medici. Um, is his spirit still there? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. It's, it's calmer. Um, 
uh, I won't use their name, but I mean, there's some developers are like, I don't want to work too close to Patrick. It was like, he said, it was like working too close to the sun. Uh, you know, they would say that. Um, so that makes sense. It, it, yeah. Every once in a while it would get shook up a little bit. Cause with that vision also came like, Hey, we're also going to do this or we're going to do this differently or, or, uh, this is the plan. Uh, it's a little more, I would say, uh, stable, um, which is, great for most people. Uh, for me, I adapt to change pretty quick. Uh, so I was fine with the, with the kind of the, every once in a while, kind of, the, you know, the cage being rattled and, and things shifting around. But, uh, for a lot of people, they like it, uh, like it more stable. So I think it depends on your personality. Um, I'm a huge Patrick fan. Uh, I think Jonathan is doing a phenomenal job. He's taken over for Patrick and just running the business, uh, across the board, you know, Medici and, uh, and uh, overstock. He's doing a great job. That's really good to hear. And how's the support of the overall crypto space from like the board of overstock and Medici Ventures? And is there still that love of wanting to push it forward? Yes. So that has not changed, which is great because that was that was actually my first concern. I'm I'm at over uh, overstock's a great company, like in general, taking care of the people and everything. But I'm there because of crypto, right? I'm not there to work for a discount so cool. retailer. Um, I'm there because of crypto. I'm there. I'm, I'm there because I watched Patrick's keynote speech in uh, Amsterdam when yeah. I was consulting for another crypto company, and I saw him say, "You know what I want to do? I want to release a parallel crypto equity." He did this during a Q&A after his talk, and I said, "I think they're in Utah." I knew Overstock was in Utah, but I had no idea where they were or anything. Looked them up. They were 10 minutes from my house. I said, I want to be a part of that. You're like, I'm in. I'm in for sure. I would yep. do too. I would drive over there too. It'd be crazy. Yep. Yep. So, so, so it took a while, but I got in there and, and it's been amazing. I want to get back to Ravencoin um, yeah. and talk about it because it's one of my favorite topics. So for those who don't know, the founder of, you know, there's no founder, but one of the, the people who I'm very close to who was involved in the, the, the you know, the, the brain, not the brain child, but the person who was like, the people, okay, let me take a step back. I get very nervous attributing and giving credit to people for certain things, not because I don't want to, but because I'm nervous that I put targets on people's backs. That's the simplest reason. I never call people the founder of, or just because I don't, I don't want to ever assign a label that the media yeah, or the press will then, Charlie Shrum said this person's the founder. I'm a yeah. source and I don't want to be in that situation. So, yeah, and, 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 and Bruce wouldn't consider himself a founder. I mean, he had he had some ideas about a, a, yes. a token. And, and but that's, in general, that's, this is my policy, not just with this, but it, over all my episodes, I, I rarely do it. So but going back to this with, with Bruce, you know, the basic idea of taking Bitcoin, and I want to understand you guys doing a code fork and not a chain fork. So that's the first correct. people want to understand what the difference is. Um, to basically take Bitcoin and be able to put assets on top of it. it but yep. that's, so that's something that's been talked about since 2012. I mean, Vitalik said, I want to launch assets on top of Bitcoin. And yep. the, the whole community said, you're a fucking idiot. And that's when he launched Ethereum. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, what was different now? Yeah, so, so there have been multiple projects that did that. Open Assets did it. Uh, Mastercoin, which is now Omni, which Tether runs on, did it. Uh, uh, Counterparty did it. Uh, and I was familiar with all of those projects. Uh, and so we basically took all of those and, and, and multi-chain, uh, another amazing project. Anyway, we took the best of those uh, projects 
and said, we need to build this into what about colored coins, colored coins. Yep. Same, same thing. Colored coins, kind of a generic term for the open assets and, and the different, there were like three protocols that yeah. probably should have joined forces and didn't, but, um, that, that, uh, yeah, same, same thing, right. It's all of those. And it, that, and then the, the general idea is, Hey, you have this immutable record. And so all you have to do is say, I want to issue and then put that in the immutable record with that, the, the person that issued has the private key then to spend those coins that were just issued. And then from there, it just chains out just like it was a Coinbase, And, and then you just put the information about the transfers into the, if, well, for with Bitcoin into the effectively the comments field of Bitcoin because Bitcoin's kind of unaware of these things. So into the op return, just like a just an area you can use. Um, and so that was that's kind of what had been done. Uh, but when you do that, it added a little bit of clunkiness in that with every asset you need to send a little bit of Bitcoin. Otherwise, Bitcoin goes. Well, I'm not going to accept that. There needs to be at least 543 satoshis, which otherwise is considered dust. And so you had to move that with every coin or with every group of, of these tokens, you had to move those that dust uh, or more than dust uh, threshold. And that made it clunkier to use. And so we said, we can remove some of those restrictions. Uh, and so that's what we did. We basically kind of combined the technologies uh, of those into, uh, you know, into just the software you download. And then because of that, we could also add the ability to create an asset just right from the GUI, right from the from the QT, right from the Raven QT, it's the Bitcoin QT. Uh, the ability to create an asset, choose how divisible it is, uh, choose how many tokens you're issuing, etc. cetera. Uh, you need to, uh, we also wanted to make it, uh, this is an important aspect. Uh, so the tokens have to have a unique name, uh, whereas in uh, some of the other technologies, uh, it used uh, kind of a pseudo unique name. It would use part of the hash uh, of the transaction as a unique name uh, or th things like that. We wanted you to choose a unique name. That was one of the bigger challenges because we had to make sure the network could resolve these unique names. Even if two people chose the name, you know, one in one in Asia and one in the U.S., that it would resolve down and, and only one of them would get into a block and things like that. So we had to build some new things to kind of do name name resolution and put it in the mempool and check it and things like that. Uh, but that was that was kind of the first uh, goal. And so it took us to, to yeah, about uh, about 10 months to kind of get there and get it that activated online. So that was, that was a big milestone was getting assets activated because before that it was essentially uh, not unlike, uh, you know, Litecoin or one of the other altcoins or a Dogecoin or something. Still great, still had a lot of popularity, uh, but it had no other features. Uh, until that day. And then uh, recently, in fact, quite recently, it was actually during um, Satoshi Roundtable, uh, the new features activated, which give you tools uh, to help uh, issuers of securities stay legal by basically keeping the uh, asset from moving to addresses that aren't tagged with, let's say, KYC or AML or things like that. So it has some features of, a, a you know, some of the more important features that you could build into a smart contract, but are built into Ravencoin. What's the future for you? Where do you, where do you want to see it? Uh, on a, you know, from a economic community, um, like a good economic, you know, a good community that's, that's robust, um, to yeah. partnerships with companies and things like that. I mean, where do you see the future yeah. of Ravencoin? What, what would be successful yeah. to you? So I, I have this, uh, this idea that, um, that, so 
the ICO thing was kind of a disaster, but I think it would have played out had it, and this is this speculation on my part, had it been left to continue, let's say, for another year or two, and you know, it wasn't illegal and things like that, I think it would have sorted itself out in the sense that investors would have been would have gotten smarter. Uh, right, you get burned once or twice, and pretty soon you're like, you know what? I'm only going to invest in the projects that have, you know, real people behind them. You do more research, et cetera, instead of just kind of throwing money at kind of anything that was that was, you know, written a white paper. Um, I would like to see that, even if it happens in some other countries, where it becomes more like people vetting individually or using, you know, like a Yelp-like service. Yes. To say, you know, so it's not like me just guessing whether these guys You're are good guys. You're not trying to spread yourself too thin. You're really trying to do one thing really, really well in complement to Bitcoin. It seems like where you're going with this. Yeah. Well, what I guess what I'm to, what I'm, where I'm going is that I, I would like to see a token economy where small businesses, this is tougher in the U.S. and I know there's some legal issues, so don't take this as you can do this. But let's say uh, if you don't deal with U.S. customers, uh, at all in other countries, let's say you know in Argentina or something, you want to build a small business that you could go to a bunch of people around the area and you could sell them tokens. That's basically funding the company, and then you can, uh, as the as the restaurant or whatever it is, grows. Uh, and I, and I use a lemonade stand as an example, right? Child goes around to the neighbors, basically sells equity in the lemonade stand in another country, and the the uh, the neighbors invest in it, the neighbors frequent it, and the lemonade stand grows, and the, the lemonade stand is actually able to give dividends back to the investors. Uh, that's all technically possible. It's legally difficult uh, in in kind of the major you know, jurisdictions in, in the U.S. and Europe and whatnot. Uh, but that's kind of the vision I see, uh, even if it helps other countries and other countries are using Ravencoin to be able to do this type of thing. I think that would be amazing. Uh, and, and the technology exists uh, to do it. Um, so I would like to see that. Uh, in the U.S., uh, all we, I'm kind of helping. I would like to see the Ravencoin help issuers to stay legal, meaning the you know, KYC, AML, all of that kind of stuff, and to be able to get tokens on secondary markets like uh, Abe and Merge and, and uh, another one, PPEX and T0 and, and these secondary markets to be able to, to trade digital tokens. So I would like to see that happen. From your mouth to the ears of the sky, people, as I say on the show. Um, yeah. Well, not because... All I, legally, all legally. Yeah, all legally. Check um, with your lawyer and all of that. Yeah. So, so the way you're going about doing these things, right, unlike other coins and projects, you have tons and tons of volunteers in your Telegram and yep. Discord and everywhere. And, and all these volunteers have built your asset explorers, block explorers, yep. node trackers, things like that. Yep. Yep. Um, all volunteer. So yep. you're modeling this after Bitcoin. And, and yes. Bitcoin's uh, development strategy was follow the, 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 the FOSS movement, you know, the open source software movement, and yep. which is great. But it's also been largely criticized uh, as like being unchanging. And in fact, I think it's a stupid criticism personally, because that's one of the best properties of Bitcoin. Do you run into issues like that of not having a 
like a, de- a deciding person. It's like, do you, you roll your eyes? Like, oh my God, we're like arguing over a backslash or something like that. Yeah. So, so I think, uh, I, I, I don't know why I think Bitcoin's somewhat unique in, in that sense. Uh, I have my own philosophy, but it's it, it, of kind of why and how it got there, but I prefer to keep that they like to myself. It's cause it's too controversial. Uh, I think, uh, Right now, at least, and this probably won't be true forever. I, I think it, uh, as tokens or coins get more seasoned, they get a, and, and and probably for good reason get more ossified. Meaning, enough people are kind of building on top of it and using all the features and don't want it to change. That uh, that it becomes difficult to change, uh, and you do need to because we did need to swap out the mining algorithm. Uh, right now, we have a. We try to use bit, what's called BIP9. It's from Bitcoin. Uh, we just, you know, it was built in when we when we use the code. So we use that to activate new features that change consensus. Oh, and cool! Basi- Wait, so tell me yeah. how that works. Yeah, so you basically get to go in and set a start date, an end date, and a and a threshold. The threshold being, uh, I think of it. It's easiest to describe as a percentage. Let's say eighty-five. Oh, this was for Segwit. We tried using we actually this is how Segwit got basically active. Yeah. Tried to be active, signaling and things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a great, so it's a great strategy. Just, yeah, I think but it's it relies great. on miners though and nodes only. It doesn't take into account the other, it the only other people in the space. It only considers miners. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and this is the part that would of course be controversial. Um, miners, I think, are largely that, you know, they're kind of in charge of that consensus. Now we have a we have a wider um, uh, See, I'm not opposed group. to that. I'm not because I, I, I want to say something. It's my mm-hmm. show, so I can. But <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I'm not opposed to to like checks and balances is important. But at the end yeah. of the day, you know, let's look at uh, at America. We have three separate, uh, three separate um, uh, uh, legislator, uh, legislator, executive, and what's the other one? We should judiciary? all know this in high school. Yeah, and they all, yeah, judiciary, and they all provide balances. But those. Those separate departments or entities can still make decisions on their own, and it's challenged when there's a challenge. So yeah. I'm not opposed to miners being able to make decisions when it relates to consensus or any type of decisions, because you can argue that miners have the most incentivization to keep Bitcoin, uh, keep Bitcoin's integrity, maintain Bitcoin's integrity, right? The problem that I have is there's no checks and balances on top of that. There's no mechanism in the code in place. For miners to say, okay, if we do something stupid, then there is a way for the other parties to come in and like negate that. I, I think there is, but I think it's the economic actors. So uh, the economic actors. Uh, so so we we since we've had to make some of these transitions. In fact, a couple of them. Uh, you know, for assets, and then again for restricted assets, and again for our uh, we swapped out a mining algorithm. Uh, we we look at the the economic actors are. Uh, Binance, Binance US, Bitrix, uh, the the people that that accept uh, tokens, you know, like coin payments, for example, right? So if they're on the wrong chain, and you could have one miner working it, one miner and all those economic actors, it wouldn't be a very secure chain, but it would switch over and probably function. Uh, the the goal is to kind of get all the miners for security and all the economic actors to to all be on the same page, so that when you switch over, uh, that you know everybody's running the same raven uh and that, that's really the the goal if, if individuals that are using raven uh 
don't switch right away, and then that's okay because they'll send their token. You know, they're on the wrong chain. They'll send their token to Binance, and Binance won't see it. For example, right as yeah. they deposit it, and they go, "What happened?" And then they switch, and they're fine, right? So you can have lots of individual actors running. Uh, you know, and then, then they can switch over, and if they switch over to the right chain, they'll have their coins back. And they can send it again, and they're fine. So it's not like they lost their coins because they sent them while they were on the wrong chain. That's just kind of the way it works. Uh, and, and so I think that's uh, we we're fo- we focus on the the miners and the economic actors, and they need to be in sync. If one of them goes one way, uh, if the miners go one way, you lose the security. And and if the mine if the economic actors don't follow along, you lose the economy. <laughs> right? It's just, the the coin's worthless because. Binance isn't recognizing it, and the, you know the, the, all the exchanges are recognizing another coin. So those two need to be in sync, uh, and that's the important part. Uh, so far, uh, it's been pretty good. I don't like having to do switches that aren't BIP nine, and we've had to do two of them, um, and and I don't like those. And hopefully, we never have to do one of those again. Uh, the BIP nine ones, I pr- feel pretty comfortable with because you're basically saying, hey, when we hit this eighty five or ninety percent threshold. And everybody's notified, then it just automatically kicks over. It also gives them like a day and a half after it kicks over to kind of get on board, right? So it doesn't kick over immediately. There's like a grace period, um, and it's a pretty good it's a pretty good mechanism. It works. Yeah, it works. Yeah. Do you do you think that Medici and yourself will not be involved in Ravencoin down the road? Uh, the, so I'm going to put it this way. If we weren't, Ravencoin continues, right? I mean, we could, um, you know, Medici's very Easily. stable because yeah. Overstock's doing fantastic. But if we disappeared, right? If, if Utah disappeared, we, you know, I disappeared, whatever, Ravencoin continues. It, it, it's it's on its own, right? It, it maybe doesn't get the new development, maybe doesn't have uh, the new features on the roadmap being developed, or, or it might, right, from the community. Uh, it, 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 it is not at all dependent on us continuing at all right it, it's it's on its own it's its own thing uh in the same way that you know like Blockstream or whatever isn't you know couldn't wouldn't shut down bitcoin if they weren't there right it just might not have the you know kind of the people checking stuff in well so um yeah it, it's so it's independent uh it's also not a company and that uh, people get confused about that uh People like, let me talk to your, you know, and I'm sure it happens with Bitcoin as well. You know, you yeah. mentioned that uh, uh, it's not a company. And so I expl- end up explaining that a lot, uh, mostly to people who want to be our PR department and get our business and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, look, there isn't a, there isn't a marketing budget. Um, we did. The community actually collected money for uh, to do our legal document because we needed a legal document to give to some of the U.S. exchanges to say we're not a security, and they needed that paperwork from a from an attorney. And so we uh, community raised a bunch of money, and one of the community members started looking for an attorney, and then we had an amazing attorney, uh, uh, basically volunteer, and did it. And that's all open source, so we have a document that's you know written in. Uh, Google Docs that's, you know, explains, goes through the Howey test and Foreman and all these things of why Ravencoin isn't a security. And we, you know, given that to exchanges as they ask for it. And that, that was amazing. And so we still have this legal fund. Uh, I don't have any part of it, but the, the it's in a multi-sig that the community has that, you know, if Ravencoin ever has a, as an issue that that's sitting there, 
Um, we've, we've asked to use it for a couple of different things that were important and the community said, no, we're going to keep it for now. So it's, uh, it's out there. I have a cool little tidbit to, uh, to end off on, but, um, it was very hard to get legal representation early on in, um, in, in crypto and Bitcoin. And my first lawyer was, uh, someone who is actually a Mormon elder from, from Salt Lake city. And oh, I know wow. you're based in Salt Lake and I know yep. that. Um, I know that, you know, Overstock and Medici Ventures, you guys are like a whirlpool almost like you suck all the talent in all the acquisitions. So I'm assuming that there's, you know, I mean, it's safe, but I'm assuming there's a large, uh, LDS community that's involved in crypto, but you don't really hear about them. Uh, I'm curious, you know, you can you hear from like the Jewish crypto community. I, I talk to them. I talk to the Islamic crypto community. Um, what is what, what does the LDS space think of, of crypto? Is there like do you ever talk to them about that? Uh, I usually steer clear of, of religion. Uh, I know, no, but I'm just curious. In, yeah, um, I would say that the that uh, the LDS community in general has sort of this uh, do it yourself. I mean, that's the wrong term. It, it's very um, self sufficient. Like self sufficient. Perfect. Self sufficient. Like. If something were were to happen in Utah, well, it really has, right? That community is is pretty well suited to help itself, right, and to 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 support Utah and, and specifically LDS. I'm not LDS, but but it's very uh, very um, well suited, you know, community wide, right? It, it's uh, it'd be a good place to to hunker down uh, if there were ever ever issues. Um, you know, food storage and things like that is part of the culture and, and, you know, having years worth of food in your, in your basement and things like that. Um, so I, I think it maybe has that same self-sufficient spirit that, yeah. that kind of crypto has as well. Like, you know, not uh, relying on third parties and things like that. So I think it has that, uh, I'm absolutely certain that a lot of the meetup people and, you know, and, you know, people that come to Utah meetups and things like that are, are LDS, but it doesn't really come up a lot as far as like, yeah, that's why I, I yeah. that's why I like that community in a way because they, it doesn't come up a lot. Um, and so I was just curious to see, I, I've not, I haven't been to Salt Lake in so many years, so I, I'm excited to come back. And so if you come, you're welcome great to Salt Lake. You're welcome to stay with us. If you ski, we're like six miles from a ski resort. Um, yeah, I'm welcome. taking you you're up welcome. on that. Yeah, awesome. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, how can people follow? Like, what's the best resource the first place? Someone listens to the show. They're like, I want to hear more about Ravencoin. What do they do? Uh, so uh, I would start with uh, Ravencoin.org. Uh, it'll kind of spoke you out to kind of a mix mash of Wikipedia and telegrams and and uh, Twitter accounts and my Medium account where I kind of go through, you know, like how to how to do all kinds of stuff, uh, create assets and everything. Uh, it'll spoke you out to lots of different places because it's really just a spoke, uh, you know, a hub and spoke kind of thing. Uh, most of the other stuff outside of that, uh, we don't run. Uh, people can actually add to Ravencoin.org. You can actually clone it, change oh, the website, cool. submit it. If it doesn't look like you're being greedy or putting, you know, an ad or something on it, if it's just like another mm-hmm. resource, we'll hit approve and it'll be on, on, on the Ravencoin website. So it's community driven as well. That's a good place to start. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much again. Thank you. It's been great. Yeah. I'm honored to be on your show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories are released every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m. EST on untoldstories.com, 
Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Untold Stories is produced by Jason Yanowitz, Michael E. Polito, Reed Hannaford, and Riley Silbert of BlockWorks Group. Our account executives are Gina DeFelice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offer. Special thanks to Wayne Dallaire from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Shrem. You can follow me on Twitter, at Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation. Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember, please give some love to my sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Remember, strength in numbers and information is power.